This is the Shift Podcast. With the World Juniors currently underway, we started reminiscing on some of the greatest moments in recent sports history. Hmm. He's on the ice with a Gimlet. A Gimlet Be aware of the inbounder here if you're filling. It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? some absolutely timeless classic sports moments in the recent number of years and the first clip you heard of course the most iconic one for me Sidney Crosby scoring that uh, gold medal game-winning goal in Vancouver 10 years ago for the Winter Games now I've got a special connection to that one because of course it was happening here in Vancouver we're broadcasting live from the CKNW studios downtown in Vancouver so I'll tell you exactly where I was. It was the most unexpected place because when you went downtown that morning, everything was booked. Everything was sold out. Everything was jam-packed. My friends and I went down there, basically the crack of dawn, and we were looking for every single anywhere. And there was a large group of us, so it's a little bit more difficult to try and fit in like eight, nine, ten guys who are all looking to drink some beer early in the morning because the game was in the morning. You might remember. I think Puck Drop was just at around 10 a.m. So... We tried all the bars downtown, booked. We tried the Molson Canadian Hockey House, completely packed. We tried everything, guys. Right, Irish House, packed. Uh, Every kind of house possible that they temporarily set up in Vancouver, completely packed. So, not to be defeated, we start walking just the downtown core until eventually we managed to walk by a Holiday Inn Express. And I get the great idea as we're walking by. I'm like, wait a second. Don't hotels have a uh, have like a bar in the lobby? And sure enough, we walk in. It is completely empty. Like there's not a single soul in that bar. So I'm like, okay, guys, we found it. This is it. Like it might be a holiday inn, but who cares? Over and and this must have been around. Um, I, I want to say like 9 a.m. So we still gave ourselves a lot of time. But over the next hour, as the game was about to uh, start. More and more people had the same idea. And, and, and all of a sudden, that hotel lobby bar of the Holiday Inn Express just got jam-packed. And I remember watching that goal. And next to me, uh, next to my group uh, and I, 
uh, two gentlemen from the Czech Republic. And, 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 you know, one of the great experiences about being in an Olympic city is that most of the people that you see just walking the streets are usually visitors and they're tourists. So it didn't surprise me at all that the people sitting next to me were from Europe. And they were watching, they were cheering on Canada, even though they're from the Czech Republic. They just didn't want to see the United States win gold. So my mm-hmm. great memory when they score the, uh, when, sorry, Crosby scores the goal is the entire Holiday Inn erupting. And then us taking our giant Canadian flag down the streets of downtown Vancouver and just waving it around. Oh, Canada, everywhere you go, cars honking, boats honking on the on the sea, like in, in English Bay. Like it, it was just an incredible sight, something I'll never live down. It's definitely for me the biggest, greatest sporting event I'll ever remember because it was more than just sports. It was like a Canadian moment for me. And uh, boy, it, it'll it won't get bigger than that for me. But that was because I was here. And I feel like even though I wasn't at the rink, I was here. And I felt like there was a special connection there. Ryan, what about you? What's your special sports moment if you had to choose one? It's tough to choose one. I just want to say quickly that watching the Golden Goal was about the time I started caring about hockey. Ah. And I remember watching it on the main floor with my family and they were all yelling and stressing me out. So I ran upstairs and watched it alone (laughs) in my room. And then when the goal happened, I screamed, jumped on my bed and then ran down and we all, you know, gave each other hugs. Oh, yeah. I think the memory... The sporting memory that that I cherish the most, I mean, the Raptors are very, very high up there, but the first sports team I ever cared about was the Chicago Cubs. And that was because when I was really young, I saw a Cubs hat, I saw the logo, and I just fell in love with it, even though the team was horrible. All right. Horrible. God, horrible. And cursed. I watched the Cubs for a long time, and 2016... You know, that that whole journey to the last game was such a roller coaster. And uh, I remember we went to a bar down the hill and we were sitting there. And the bar was packed and nobody really cared too, too much. There were a couple other Cubs fans and I was very into it. And the game was, <laughs> you know, going on. And the party we were with, they all just kind of left. And me and my girlfriend at the time were like, let's just go back to my place and finish it there. So we go back and she doesn't care at all, right? I, on the other hand, I'm freaking out. I got so anxious watching the game that I started like, you know, piling the pillows up in front of me and started hiding behind them. Like when you're watching (laughs) a horror movie, trying not to be terrified, building a wall, it was like that. And that game was so close. And, uh, and then the TV turned off by accident in the, in the last inning. So I turn it back on. And as the TV turned back on, I see my favorite player, Chris Bryant, catch the ball. And I just screamed. I threw the hat up that I was wearing. I should like take a picture. You should see the disgusting sweat stains on my Cubs hat. It has been with me everywhere. And it was just this moment of, oh my God, I'm alive to witness this. And it's the same feeling I got during the the golden goal. But oh my God, I just watched the Chicago Cubs right. win the championship for the first time in over 100 years. That exactly. is a memory I will never, ever let go of it was a very and you never moment. should because as you mentioned it took over a hundred nope. years entire human beings have lived long healthy uh generously long lives and they have never seen what you saw nope bigger cubs fans than me right have watched it and never some very i count myself very lucky for that uh but uh, now the cubs are bad again so the cycle <laughs> has restarted and it makes sense it's well, fine i'm okay with it i've made peace with it forget winning the world series i just want the mariners to get back into the playoffs it's been oh it's been oh too long since <laughs> that's happened good luck with that one yeah yeah <laughs> longest uh, playoff drought in north american sports history
at the moment. Nice. Maddie, what about you? You got a big sports one? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was playing dodgeball in high school, and I just smoked this kid right in the forehead. And it was awesome. <laughs> um, no, I, um, I'm not much of a what you would call a sports guy. I know you guys are super into the uh, the sports and the analyzing of the sports and the watching of games and teams winning and giving 110. percent But um, this my favorite sports moment came from a friend of mine. Mm. Um, a guy I went to school with. Uh, his name is Mantar B- uh, Bandal. He uh, does uh, play-by-play and uh, analyst hockey analysis stuff for Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. And I actually have one, of, one of his calls that he made uh, two years ago. Um, it was a Canucks home game. Uh, they were playing Tampa Bay Lightning, and Brock Bozer scored a goal. So this play is in Punjabi, but you'll be able to understand uh, what happens. So check this out. And Sutter. Oh, I got Brock Besser. So the kick, he's going to get Vancouver Canucks. Brock Besser, I got Brock like it. Besser's got the goal! Brock Besser! <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, I've actually met Mantar, and uh, yeah, he's a heck of a guy and a great broadcaster. He's got such a great future ahead of him and a very talented guitarist. I'm sure, Maddie, you would probably know that already. Very uh, talented musician. What are some of the greatest sports moments that have happened in your life? It can be sports moments that you witnessed, watched as a spectator, or maybe moments that you were actually a part of. Maybe you play some rec hockey or rec dodgeball, like Matt throwing a dodgeball at that poor kid's face. And that's uh, Matt's greatest sports achievement so far. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, hey, if it's there and it's 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 a great memory... Seize it, I say. Seize it. He had it coming. It's dodgeball, man. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. All right. Let's connect with Ed out in Vancouver. Ed, uh, welcome to the shift here. Hi, John. I've got a uh, – this actually has a CKNW uh, bit to it. In October of 2009, mm-hmm. 2009 John McComb, a former morning – morning host had a guy named Gordy Robertson on the air. Right. And Gordy played hockey for Canada on the men's Olympic hockey team in Oslo, Norway in 1952. Wow. Well, Gordy, who was in his late 80s, couldn't get a ticket to see Canada play hockey in 2010. Right. They didn't set aside tickets for former um, Canadian players, which just blew my mind. So I heard this on the air. I called in and said, hey, give this guy my number. I'll take him to the Canada versus Switzerland game. Oh, that's great. So I take him to the game. But I thought, ah, I've got to be more than just that. So I called the Olympic Broadcasting Network, and I said, I'm going to have Gordy Robertson, 1952 gold medalist. He'll wear his hockey jersey from 52. He'll have his cowboy hat from 52. So they interview him between periods. Everybody and their brother wanted an autograph. Oh, that's excellent. It made his day, but it just took off from there. So he got to see the hockey game. And then other people saw it, and the Olympic uh, folks organizers realized they blew it. So he got tickets to the women's hockey final, the men's hockey final, the closing ceremonies. He got to run the Olympic torch in Trail BC, where he was born. It just completely blew up, and he absolutely had the time of his life. And I was so happy for the guy because he just wanted to see a game, and it turned out to be so much more, and I really made a great friend out of it. And he passed away last year at age 
97. Right. So it was just so nice. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that he passed, but Ed, I, I'm glad that you called in and shared this because uh, you, you really did yourself uh, uh, a great deed just by wanting to help out your fellow Canadian who, obviously, if it weren't for you, wouldn't have been able to enjoy those things. This is The Shift Podcast. Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science. Always a good time whenever we get to chat with Andrew. Uh, he was producing the show just a couple of nights ago. He's back with a vengeance as we look back at the year that was. No. Take us through 2020. Uh, I mean, it was a year where so many weird things oh happened. But in the world of science, what really stands out when we say goodbye to the year that was and uh, try to look at some of the scientific things that might have occurred? I mean... To start off, I have to mention, even though it's not really weird, more perhaps tragic and in some ways pathetic, mm-hmm. uh, but COVID-19 and humanity's general reaction uh, to it. Um, it's incredible, first of all, that I should say that, you know, we're standing here in December uh, and barely 10 months ago, uh, we didn't know what this was. But, you know, all around the world, vaccines are getting distributed right now. Um, it is absolutely insane that scientists have come together all over the world to create a vaccine for this pathogen uh, that we've barely had on our radar, really, for more than 10 months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an incredible scientific achievement, and I think that going forward, um, the, the, the production, the testing, and the rollout of this vaccine will be a high watermark. Uh, for a lot of applied sciences in its ability to not only recognize, but collate and produce science in a way that actually helps everyone. Um, you know, usually, and we've heard the lines, you know, hundreds of times, that vaccines usually take years, mm-hmm. if not decades. Um, and we were able to go from nothing to people getting jabbed in the arm at the hospital near you. Uh, in less than a calendar year. And I think that's incredible. 100%. And and before we, we go further, I just wanted to say that I had a chat with Dr. Srinivas Murthy here from uh, Vancouver. He's a very accomplished virologist. He's a specialist in infectious diseases. And when I had a conversation with him about a month and a half ago, he told me that he believed as an expert in his field that a vaccine would be ready to roll out by March or April of 2021. So he didn't even see how quickly things were going to come together. So it tells you that the international community, the team of scientists and researchers that really worked on this, they deserve a ton of credit. Absolutely. And even I'm no, I disclaimer, I am not an immunology or virology expert, but I do consume a lot of science. Uh, and I thought that we wouldn't be seeing vaccines till the middle of 2021. I thought there was no way that, you know, we would be able to compress what is usually a decade or quarter decade or half decade long process into barely a calendar year. But here we are. So uh, good job, everyone who worked on that, especially you, Phil. Good job, Phil. (laughs) If your name is Phil, pat yourself on the back. Anyway, let's go to the weirder stuff. Uh, It's been a banner year for space rocks. Guy who hates space rocks, this one's for you. Happy 2020. Um... (laughs) Hayabusa 2 landed back on Earth delivering uh, what seems to be, what appears to be, uh, an essential motherload of of rocks from the asteroid Ryugu. Uh, Now, what the scientists were hoping they would bring back is more than a half gram of rocks. 
not marijuana. Um, they were hoping to bring back about a half gram. What they've collected so far uh, is actually, it looks to be more than five or six grams. So they've overshot their goal by, you know, 10, 15 times, which is fantastic. Um, and some of the images that if you are like me and are a complete nerd have looked at, the rocks are pitch black like coal, and that's mm -hmm. kind of to be expected. Uh, and it goes to show you that, you know, asteroids out there aren't like what you see in science fiction, where they just kind of look like the rocks you see in the riverbank. Uh, they're, a lot of them are made up of mostly carbon, and as a result, they look like coal. Um, and so we're waiting for the science for that to come out, but that's super exciting. Uh, and NASA's OSIRIS-REx uh, completed its touchdown mission to retrieve rocks, uh, and that'll be coming back, oh, that'll be landing back on Earth, sorry, in uh, 2023. So there's more space rock science coming up. Uh, sticking to the theme of space rocks for that one dude, uh, we found water on two space rocks. Oh, that, uh, before you get your hopes up, it's not, you know, like a waterfall. Uh, but if you know about Ceres, that's the largest, uh, you know, inside of Pluto's orbit, it's the largest non-planetary rock. Um, it essentially is a dwarf planet. We've had, NASA's been orbiting um, uh, something called the Dawn Mission around it for a number of years now. And what the Dawn Mission found was frozen water on it in the middle of the asteroid belt. So that was exciting. Mm. Uh, on top of that, our next-door neighbor in space, the moon, also has frozen water. Uh, now, this isn't something that we'd necessarily been surprised by. Uh, we'd postulated and thought that maybe there was frozen water on the moon, but we, as of this year, now have proof that it's there, uh, which opens up a lot of doors when it comes to colonizing the moon. Um, whether or not the water can be used to be recycled into, into rocket fuel or used for building materials in situ on the surface... That's a mission for the future. Uh, and that leads to the biggest planetary story of the year, which may have actually fizzled. Uh, but remember when everyone thought, oh, my God, they found life on Venus? Right. Uh, that was the detection of, of the chemical phosphine in the Venusian atmosphere. Uh, and phosphine, as a refresher, is something that's usually only emitted on Earth by abiotic processes, things that uh, are a production of decomposition or production of life. Uh, so seeing something that is generally and almost exclusively a life-produced product uh, show up in the Venusian atmosphere had people's Twitters going insane for a couple of weeks. And they thought, maybe this is the 2020 turnaround. It really wasn't. <laughs> um, scientists have called into question the strength of the signal that was detected. Uh, they detected um, a, a signal that would indicate there's a large... Uh, or a larger than we would assume portion of phosphine in the Venusian atmosphere. But really, maybe it's not as much. There's actually a paper out there asking the original paper to redact the, to redact the survey. Oh. Um, so it's looking like that was a dud, but the, the jury's still out on that one. I actually spoke out with the Canadian Space Agency about that story, and they were very excited, although it tells us now, like, hey, you know, maybe we need to temper our expectations when it comes to this kind of stuff sometimes. Exactly. And, and you always should. Like uh, I've said to everyone I've ever talked to about aliens, it's never aliens until it is actually completely 100 <laughs> percent aliens. Fair until enough. then, it's never that. Yeah. Uh, back on Earth and back in time, about 67 million years ago, a scientist found a fossil of what they believe, well, what they know right now is the oldest modern bird ever found. Um, now, this fossil dates back to 67 million years ago, meaning that its descendants survived the asteroid impact that turned the dinosaurs into coal, oil, and fossils. Um, so that's pretty cool. And I think the best part of this is that they have named it the Wonder Chicken. 
<laughs> really? Wonder chicken? Yes, it is the wonder chicken. Its scientific name is the Asterio Asteriornis mostrictensis, which is a mouthful. Yeah. So we'll just stick to wonder chicken. Uh, it, if uh, it did actually kind of look like a chicken if it were crossed with a duck and shrunk to about the size of a quail. I'm Googling it right now because I'm so, so curious about this. And uh, boy, yeah, it, it does. It's an interesting thing. It looks it smaller than most chickens. It, yeah, it's about the size of a quail, yeah. at least the false that we found. And quails are tiny little adorable things uh, that we sometimes eat, which kind of makes me sad, but they're also very tasty. Fair. Uh, Maddie, fire that Matrix clip. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. So a study that came out this year, and this also rankled some people good, um, is about whether or not we our stars, the planets, the rocks, the dust, the everything out there is all just a simulation. Oh. Um, and this study says the chances are about 50-50. Uh-oh. Uh, there is a significant non-zero chance that we live in a simulation. Uh, and I don't have the time here to go in depth about why, but it, it's more of a, of, of a philosophical debate right now more than it is a scientific one. We currently have no means to test whether or not this is true. But if you if you make a couple of assumptions about the universe, one of them being that eventually life will become so complex it will seek to simulate itself, and another one being that civilizations have the uh, you know the knowledge and power to not only create a computer capable of that but not destroy themselves in the process, mm. it's kind of possible that we could just be a simulation of some super future beings, you know, just kind of playing the Sims. So you're telling so, me. Um, that when hmm. I pay taxes, this is just a video game? It could be. Okay, fair enough. It, it, it could be. Uh, Matt, it's curling time. Hurry hard. It's hard, hard, hard. So the reason I say that is because earlier this year, uh, a robot beat world-class curlers. Like and a this robot? Is a, yeah, a robot. A robot, and the robot's name is Curly. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so Curly actually uh, came out on top in three of four games against top-ranked humans from South Korea. Um, and not, a reserve not a good squad. look for Korea there, not a good look. No, it's not. I didn't pick this with the intent to shame you, John. That's all right. But what I am saying is you should pick up Curling to reclaim some honor. <laughs> uh, but what this does demonstrate is that AI is getting really good at doing something called deep reinforcement learning which means it's good at making improvements as it corrects its own errors. It's quite literally in the process of learning. So the fact that curlers have been able to be bested by uh, Curly the robot, uh, as adorable as Curly is, uh, you know, a little bit spooky. Um, it's time for Bill Nye. By the end of this century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another four to eight degrees. What I'm saying is the planet's on fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the f*** up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? 
<laughs> uh, we had 30 named hurricanes this year in the Northern Hemisphere. So just a reminder that during this pandemic, uh, climate change isn't going away. And uh, one final shout out to the uh, now completely deceased Arecibo Telescope. Uh, May you rest in pepperonis. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to end on. But it's the end of a great legacy that the uh, particular telescope will leave behind. And that Bill Nye clip might be the best viral video clip of the year, simply because Bill Nye swearing expletives like we're not used it's to wonderful. that wonderful and and yet it's wonderful it's exactly maybe what we needed to hear because it's got to kick us in the ass sometimes we need to be kicked very thoroughly in our behinds andrew thank you so much my good sir uh it's been a wild wild year we are so glad and fortunate that uh, we get to have you break it all down for us including the fascinating story of more space rocks I love space rocks, and so should you. All right. That is Andrew Ferreira, the host of Weird Science. Happy New Year's, buddy. We'll talk again soon. Happy New Year. It's the Shift Podcast. All right. I don't want to delay any further because I feel like tonight's Are You OKs are just going to be absolutely top-notch stuff. Uh, I'm just going to turn it over to our good friend, Roberto. All right, Roberto, hit it. Oh. Roberto with a little change up here tonight. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't even know what to do with myself. It's a different Are You Okay jingle. I know. I like it. Life is uh, strange. Life is strange. Well, okay. I should probably talk now. All right. <laughs> my Are hands you getting okay? tired. <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm going to do it now. Are you okay? Are you okay with ceiling fans? Ceiling fans? Um, mm hmm. You know, maybe it's just a weird coincidence, but like anytime I've rented in a place somewhere in my life and I've had a ceiling fan, the thing was a piece of crap. So like it would make so much noise or it would never go fast enough or it was one of those weird situations where you just could never turn it off for whatever God known reason. So no, I'm not, I've never had a really great working experience with ceiling fans myself. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm not, I'm normally okay with ceiling fans, but like, is this like a, kind of like a ruse like is this ceiling fan got like an ai capability and it's gonna like become self-aware like skynet oh. and try and chop off my head that's exactly nope it. this is just uh this is i'll just jump right to it okay because home depot uh they're doing a recall that many consumers uh won't be a fan of oh the Consumer okay, Product Safety Commission says over 190,000 ceiling fans sold at Home Depot are being recalled after reports that the blades fell off while spinning. It's the Hampton Bay Mara indoor and outdoor ceiling fans that were sold this year between April and October at Home Depot stores and online. They cost about $150. CPSC says there were 47 reports of the blades falling off two incidents of people being hit by them, and four reports of the blades causing property damage. I'm Shelley Adler. Wow. So that report doesn't really do it justice because there were like reports of the fan going at full speed and then just right all flying out and like, you know, and that's some spooky stuff because I almost was hit by a falling ceiling fan when I was a kid. Uh, man, if I have a guardian angel, they were watching out for me that day. I was sitting on the floor building some Lego and the fan above my bed fell right. out of the ceiling, landed on the edge of the bed and just the top of it smacked me and I was fine. But, uh, thankfully not too, too many injuries. Um, but it just, it just reminded me of that time. Do you remember scary movie? Do you remember those? Like the series of movies? Oh yeah. Yeah. The really awful, like that weird trend of paradising 
horror movies yeah. and uh, you know genres of film yeah but scary movie like the first one's pretty great but there was a scene in that where this poor kid got hit by a ceiling fan everything's gonna Here be fine i'm great with kids heads up cody <laughs> oh and in case of emergency i'm okay <laughs> sorry you okay kiddo I remember that one. Kid, yeah, kid just gets launched out of the, <laughs> the ceiling after getting hit by the fan. He was okay in the movie, by the way. Uh, but yeah, the fans were exclusively at Home Depot, and uh, there was a, a whole lot of them. But uh, so if, check your fans if you recently did some home renos, as many people did during this pandemic. How, how does that happen? A certain brand. You, I mean, you, like, is, is, is there not like quality assurance people that test these things, especially if it's a consumer product where you're installing it in your home and it's literally running at high speeds. And if it's capable of falling apart and slicing somebody, and I, you know, I always assume worst case scenario, like slicing somebody and maybe just maybe you're craning your neck right when that blade falls out and then boom, jugular. Like, you know, I'm just saying you got to, test this a little bit harder if you're recalling the entire product line for shame home depot for shame you you would certainly hope so i mean i would certainly hope so but i mean a fan almost fell on me when i was a kid so right. clearly ceiling fans are just not getting the same kind of quality assurance that uh, other uh you know furniture and home appliances yeah <laughs> is that a home appliance i'm gonna call it a home yeah appliance. fair enough uh yeah so there you go check your home for a crazy out of control ceiling fan all but right now let's get into the are you okay that i know you guys are waiting for okay, are you okay yeah are you okay with kanye west ah uh, no I'm not like musically, he, you know, he is very talented. He was a producer, ghostwriter, and then he became a, an actual performer himself and he became just this mega star. In which case, yeah, did I enjoy some of his work? Of course I did. I'm not, you know, insane, but do I respect him and can I support him? Do I like him now? No, I am well past the Kanye era of my own life. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy a lot of his records. Um, he's definitely an interesting character. Probably quite prone to madness, you yeah. know, as we all are at some point in our lives. You know, only mm -hmm. only problem is is that when you're huge and famous and super successful, that when you do go mad, everybody knows about it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to. Well, like, the thing with Kanye is that he's bipolar, and he made an entire album, you know, mm -hmm. confessing what it's like to be bipolar in his life. And uh, I'm okay with Kanye. I buy a lot of his shoes, his clothing, his music. I very much respect him. I don't love everything he does. And he's in this weird gospel music phase now that I am not particularly a fan of. But all in all, I respect Kanye. And I I, I do wonder what it would be like to be in his shoes for a day. Um, but here's the story, okay? Because we're talking about Kanye West here. Rapper, fashion designer, you know, culture mogul. How does he branch out? Well, here we go. Former president of Nintendo of America, Reggie Fieldham, has revealed that he had to politely decline an offer to work with Kanye West on a video game. Kanye visited the Nintendo booth during a video game conference and requested a meeting with Reggie. The two ended up having a meeting at one of Kanye's offices. Reggie said, and this is a quote, we had so many different projects at Nintendo going on, the possibility of doing something with Kanye just wasn't there. And so I had to find a way to politely decline this opportunity to work with him. 
Reggie then told Kanye, Kanye, you don't want to work with us because we're tough, we're hard, and all we do is push for the very best. We would not be the type of partner you would want to work with. And Kanye replied, Reggie, you're exactly the type of partner I want because that's the reason it's like, Uh oh my God. So Kanye tried to get a video game with Nintendo. There's no uh, indication as to what that is. However, here's the interesting thing. All right. Kanye has talked about video games in the past. In fact, in 2015, Kanye West actually announced he was working on a video game. Um, thanks. That's not easy to do, man. Y'all to be acting like shit is regular, man. <laughs> yeah, play it one more. Virgil suggests we play that one more time. The concept is my mom traveling through the gates of heaven. Like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'll go out and meet with everybody in San Fran and they'll diss the f out of me. And I'll be like, I wanna make a game and they'll be like, f you. That was hard to do, bro. Wow. I don't yeah, he had need- He just shown them the trailer. And they uh, they did not respond as well as he wished they would there. Well, that's not shocking at all. Like the gaming community, uh, I, I'm not saying they're an exclusive community because there are crossovers that work. Like Keanu Reeves with Cyberpunk 2077 as like the leading advertiser promoting celebrity. That worked and people can get behind Keanu Reeves because he's a cool guy. In uh, years past, there's been many other crossovers, but Kanye West comes with a lot of baggage, a lot of baggage. I mean, Trucker Dan texting in saying, I'm okay with absolutely no aspect, not a single one of Kanye West. So <laughs> I, I don't love blame Nintendo. You're wearing a Nintendo sweater right now, Ryan. Like I can see. Oh yeah, it. I am. A yeah, 64. I'm a Nintendo 64. And yeah, and I do I not one. want Nintendo being tarnished by being associated with the uh, quote unquote legacy of Kanye West. No, thank you. I'm glad this didn't work yeah, out. Yeah. Thank you, Reggie, because oh, you, you dodged a bullet. I. Uh, you know what's funny though is in that game, it was supposed to be that you would guide Kanye's mother Donda to heaven. She had passed away, and then. South Park made the video game. I'm not going to say the title Mm because it's not PG, Uh, but they parodied that and you had to like you meet Kanye and he you have to guide him to the gates of heaven on a farting unicorn. It's amazing. It's it's fantastic. Look it up. It's it's great. And I think that is the extent of where we can put Kanye West in a video game. Fair. Fair. So, yeah, that's an acceptable amount. Okay, let's bring back Roberto. Are you okay? Are you okay with making a phone call? Yeah, I mean, it's part of my job. I I make phone calls all the time. (laughs) I do interviews over the phone. Uh, I cold call people just to see if they're interested in doing interviews. I I like doing phone calls. I feel like it's a lost art. Mm -hmm. Uh, Making phone calls. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay. I I tend to receive a lot more calls than I make them just because my job is Mm -hmm. uh, talking to a lot of people on the phone mm-hmm. to for instance i just grilled two people on ceiling fans who are on the line so yeah that's a good point i do uh oh, i do a lot go. of uh i know ceiling fans right who knew but um yeah um phone calls yeah sure you know it's it's a communication medium i'm cool with that mm-hmm. a lot of people in my generation hate 
talking on the phone. I, I love it. Uh, you, you know, like you can send an email or you can just call a person and get your answer right away if they pick up. So I like phone calls, but there's a certain type of phone call you should only make if it is an emergency. Ecom, which handles 99% of British Columbia's 911 calls at two emergency communication centers, they've released their list of the top 10 calls that don't belong on 911. The number one reason, you know, not okay 911 call this year. Oh no. Was complaining that their food delivery driver did not deliver their. Wow. That's disappointing. Can you imagine that? Yeah. That's. Uh, Look. I, really? Like, oh, my McDonald's is 20 minutes late. Let me call 911. <laughs> Where does that thought process go? I could call the restaurant. I could call Uber Eats or skip the dishes. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to call emergency services. Um, I don't know what they're thinking. There's This list is fantastic. There's also inquiring if there is a full lockdown for COVID-19. That Great. one is an interesting question, but not should not be, uh, you know, delivered to them. What about asking for assistance to apply for CERB? That was a 911 call that was received by them. Inquiring about how to enter a career in law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, I Step one, don't call 911 yeah, with this question, right? Yeah, you immediately failed your exam. <laughs> um, it's bad it, and potentially dangerous as well. Like you only call 911, look it up, go on Google and look it up first. But sometimes there are calls that make it to 911 that are objectively funny. And uh, this call right here that I've gathered for you is legendary. 911, what's your emergency? There are demon worshippers in a cul-de-sac. Are you in immediate danger? I think so. Okay, what is the threat? There's a man pulling dead squirrels out of his hat. How is that a threat? The kids are singing devil songs, whacking a horse effigy. Oh, Lord, they're eating what came out of his head. Ma'am, do you see any party streamers? Yes. Do you see a cake? You mean a pagan pastry? I do. That is a child's birthday party. Ma'am? I'd like to report a hate crime. A hate crime? Yes, I was not invited to my neighbor's kid's party. <laughs> All right, well, Paradise is a small town. You are actually not the first person to call about this. The child in question is very popular, but his parents limited the guest list to 20. I needed to hear that. Wow. I, is, that, that can't be a real call. Is that a real call? I feel like that's Reno so, 911 almost. I know. So that it was a real 911 call. And so people were calling about that birthday party, but I, I couldn't figure out if the lady calling was doing a prank, which you should never prank. Right. But it's just my favorite part of that is just the uh, um, do you see streamers? Yes. Just immediately like did <laughs> yeah. not click in your brain if that's real. And oh, then the pivot. It's it. like, OK, I'd like to report a hate crime because yeah. now but I'm a did victim. You notice? Oh. Do you notice how she said it too? She said, "I'd like to report a hate crime." Yeah, when she said it oh, with the next question. Oh, it, 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 it's disconcerning, so, and yeah. and you know the the fact that people will jam up emergency lines like that, uh, even when there's a power outage. Like in BC, there was a pretty solid power outage. Uh, I want to say earlier this month that knocked off power to like forty thousand customers, uh, mostly in Greater Vancouver, and so many people were calling nine one one because they didn't know how to do a four way stop at a knocked out power intersection so you know operators were like please get off the line like we need this for drug overdoses we need this for you know COVID-19 emergencies anything else gunshot wounds but we cannot answer questions about how you use a four-way stop procedure by the way if you don't know how to use a four-way stop procedure when the lights are out you shouldn't be driving that's that's just mm -hmm. where I'm saying with that let's connect with uh, Burton out in Winnipeg hey Burton welcome to the shift 
Hey, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. So we're going to go back a few pages. Uh, when you guys were talking fans, mm-hmm. for some reason, ceiling fans scare me. I don't blame uh, you. For some no. strange reason, as soon as I see a, like when I was younger, when I saw a ceiling fan, like in a strip mall, and it would be going super fast on the roof, and I'm always looking at it, and it was like, that thing's going to fall. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, it's like, okay, I go to a, watch a show or something, and next thing you know, I see a gremlin hanging by a, <laughs> hanging by something, swinging back and forth on the fan. So it's like, as soon as I see fans or hear fans, I get like, I, I get, I get kind of weird. Like, you know how some people are scared of clowns? Yeah. I'm scared of fans. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. Like You know, like, I, when you're a kid, like, sticking your finger in the fan blade, see if you can stop it. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, if you do it on that angle, you'll be fine. But if you stick your finger on this angle, I think you'll lose it. Exactly. Like, our, our producer, Ryan, almost died. Well, okay, I'm exaggerating. But he almost no, got hit by a ceiling fan. No, it that's scary. You got think that thing's going back and forth, wiggling. I'm wondering if that guy really put some lock tightener on those bolts. Absolutely, man. So, like, when you hear about ceiling fans that are just breaking apart and slamming into people, yeah. uh, I guess for you, it, like, affirms your fear. You're, it's not well, irrational. Yeah, when you go into a place and you see the feeling, ceiling fan going super fast and it's just going, you know what I mean? You're just wondering. Mm-hmm. When you were younger and when you saw something like that, did you ever ask yourself, is that ceiling fan going to fall? I think most of us did, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And oh. another question is, how many movies did they use a ceiling fan in? Probably That's quite a few. Question. Yeah, probably I only got quite two of them that I can think of: is the Gremlins, yeah, and the one where the lady turns the fan on inside the kitchen to keep the spiders from not coming into the kitchen. Oh, I forget. And what I'm that not one sure is. what movie that was. The whole town at the end of the movie, right? The whole town was a spider web. Oh man, that sounds so, spooky. That sounds spooky. Yeah, if you guys can kind of figure that out, spiders, and at the end of the movie, though, the guy opens up the door of the cabin. And all it was is a gigantic web. Okay, we're going to get our research team on that, and we'll have the yeah, answer for you soon. if anyone can find soon. that out, and if we can do a research on how many movies was there made with a fan. <laughs> that one might be a little bit tougher, but I trust our research team. Hey, Burton, thank you for the call here, my friend, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Cheers. Uh, man, it, see, like when people talk about, quote, irrational fears, uh, sometimes you get confirmation that your irrational fear is really not that irrational at all. So when people talk about clowns, well, the movie It might have confirmed to some people that, hey, I hate clowns for a reason. This movie's why. And I'm no longer going near like open sewage holes anymore because it's just it's too much. This is the Shift Podcast. Let's get to it. It's the moment we've been waiting for. It's the Rock Simber Riftacular, dude. Rock. All right, so Rock Sember Riftacular. Oh, yeah. Matt McArthur going to play uh, Riff Rama live on the radio. And uh, you can text in at 877-399-9898 to guess the riff as he's playing it live on the air. And if you get it right, you get it right. You're a winner, baby. And if you get it wrong, hey, you didn't get it wrong. Thanks for playing. Hey, it's all good. It's all good, baby. You get internet points, basically, is what we're saying here to you tonight. Tonight, tonight! It's <laughs> very low stakes, yeah. Right. It's Rock Simber, Riftacular, the last one of 2020, I might add. Maddie, take it away.
Rock Saber. All right. I all think, right. I hope you've got an idea what that riff was all about. If you know, text it in. 877-399-9898 at the Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. You guys like that? Yeah, it's it's hard. That's to how keep, we do it on the shift. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to keep up that rock voice. It really yeah. is hard, and uh, it's a bit of a strain on my vocal cords. But in the future, if there's ever going to be monster truck rallies and you need a voiceover actor, hey, you know where to find me. Right here, all day long. Okay, that's enough. All right. So we asked people. It's the last riftacular to wrap up 2020. What? was that riff and maddie i think you did such a great job of just nailing that riff a lot of people had the right answer uh yeah i mean let's let's see what uh the submissions here are uh bill classical gas uh let me see here uh not 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 quite exactly in fact i don't think i even have that one no um that actually that sucked but uh <laughs> but let's see let's see what else uh, oh moses goes randy rhodes baby uh that is the guitar player um which we actually talked about briefly yesterday mm-hmm. um i i was uh one of our our shift head texters was uh talking about a song that randy rhodes had done which is one of the his uh, his songs that he learned. He was really happy to have learned that song for the year. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've got Angel, uh, Crazy Train uh, from Ozzy, uh, which is the correct one. Uh, yep. Crazy Train, Ozzy, Randy Rhodes, Crazy Train. Uh, you smashed that one, Matt. Thank you very much. That's Trucker Dan, yeah. Uh, oh, Glenn says, the best part is I saw this tour with Randy Rhodes, and it uh, pisses my youngest son off to no end. <laughs> that pisses me off. That's I'm so jealous. Oh, me too. It's not me even too. fair. Unreal. So cool. Yeah. So yeah, Crazy Train, Ozzy Osbourne, off of the uh, amazing uh, debut solo record from Ozzy Osbourne, Blizzard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great, uh, late great Randy Rhodes, one of the uh, finest guitar players to uh, ever have uh, walked the earth. Um, I figured it was a no-brainer. We were talking about Randy the other day. That's right. And... Um, and it's just a great song. It's not maybe the greatest song, Aussie song, because I've got like a top 20, 30, like 40 Aussie songs, you know, that are all, you know, great. But uh, yeah, that, that was the, that's the one everybody knows pretty much. Well done, buddy. If you're going to wrap up 2020 with a Riftacular, you did it in style. You shredded that one. Angel also giving you props saying, great one, Matt. And uh, I think I speak on behalf of all of us. That was a flawless execution. And as you were saying, it's hard to do on a, uh, an acoustic guitar. Yeah, on, on national radio as well. And um, I mean, and I don't want to toot my own horn because I'm not, you know, about bragging or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But they, that may have been one of my best ones. Definitely my most favorites. All right. See, add that, that one horn, to, man. Yeah, add that one to the highlight reel and let us toot for you. We can be the tutors. Uh, you can be the <laughs> log master. Tooting it up in the studio. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do here. We are professionals. It's the Shift Podcast. In case you missed it, with Ryan O'Donnell. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Ryan High Tops O'Donnell. Nice. Oh, we got another live one. That e. was live. I'm yes. Excited. Thank Flawless. you, Matt. Flawless. Oh, I can't, you know, I can't look into the booth. So that was a nice surprise. Why? Oh, thank you, sir. Why are there? Now, I have a couple of great things to talk about. So I'm just going to jump in so that I can cover them. So as the year we all want to finally end. 
actually ends tonight. Netflix decided it would take a look back at 2020 in a bit of an interesting way by creating a mockumentary of the year. It's called Death to 2020. Uh, Black Mirror creators Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones, uh, they created it. And it's a series of fictional characters discussing the United States and UK events of 2020, including the pandemic, of course, and the presidential election. I finally got around to watching it. It dropped on December 27th. I mentioned it in a prior in case you missed it. I'll give you my review of it in just a second, but I wanted to just play you a clip. This is probably my favorite moments of the entire um, short film. It's Lisa Kudrow from Friends. She plays someone who's supposed to be within Trump's inner circle, and she just kind of makes fun of people who, you know, deny the media, that kind of thing. So take a listen. The whole impeachment thing was baseless, okay? So the Democrats claim that Trump pressured Ukraine into digging up dirt on the Biden family, and their only real evidence of that is a transcript of him doing it. So what did he say on the transcript? What transcript? Well, uh, you just mentioned a transcript. Check your tape. I said no such thing. You said uh, the only real evidence was a transcript <laughs> of Trump pressurizing Ukraine. There's no such place as Ukraine. Yes, there, yes, there is. I choose to believe there is not. <laughs> In March, the president said the pandemic would simply go away, didn't he? Okay, see, this is what the media does. You lie, fabricate, fantasize. The president never said that. It will go away, just stay calm, and we want to protect your shipping industry. Okay, I know this doesn't fit with your agenda, but this never happened. <laughs> he won the popular vote by a margin of literally millions. What more evidence do you need? He won fair and square. Right, so you're claiming Trump won the popular vote. No, Biden did. President-elect Biden, the victor. Right. Don't you support Trump? I have never supported Trump. <laughs> Check your tape, Bob. It's James, and you were part of Trump's campaign. Who's Trump? Wow. <laughs> Check the tape. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice to live in a world where you could ask that question and honestly don't have the answer? Who's Trump? Yeah. Oh, I wish I lived in that world. Now, the film. It is okay. Uh, it's a mockumentary, which is, I love that format of film. Uh, what we do in the shadows, for example, or the, the office, it's a great entertaining thing. And here's the thing. I feel like if they had done this five years from now, it would have been better because there, a lot of the jokes are hit or miss when they talk about the election or weird stuff. It's really funny. Samuel Jackson plays like a writer for the times and he's fantastic. Like he's the, the movie starts with we're going to be doing a, mock, a a documentary on 2020. And he literally just says, why the bleep would you want to do that? You know, so <laughs> it's, there's a lot of great one-liners, but all of the good stuff is focused around the absurdity of the election. There's also a really powerful moment uh, that I wrote down here during uh, where they talk about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And uh, Samuel Jackson has a line. He says, the police didn't see George Floyd as a human being. But the thing that happened in 2020 was that the rest of the world did. Hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, that is a great uh, summary of uh, uh, what happened there. Um, the problem that the movie has is when it talks about the pandemic. Nobody knows how to joke 
about it because really we shouldn't be joking about it yet. I imagine 10 years from now, comedians will be writing jokes about COVID, but it just felt awkward. Anytime mm -hmm. they tried to make a joke about the pandemic bats and all that, it just came across really ham-fisted and ungenuine, but then they would cut back to talking about the election and it was very funny. So my review, it's a solid like kind of six out of 10. Watch it for the great parts where they make fun of the election, uh, the COVID stuff they could leave out. I wish they had just done death to the 2020 presidential race. It would have been much better. Still, not bad. Might be right. worth your time. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it was interesting because Black Mirror has such a high, uh, high reputation because it's such a very... Huge. I mean, it's a great series, right? It really makes you think. It really makes you uh, doubt technology a lot of times. And I was curious to see, okay, how are they going to handle like a more humor-oriented uh, project here? So I I don't mind that they tried to make jokes about COVID-19. I, I get that maybe the timing doesn't work out entirely. We're still seeing uh, many, many, many people die, especially in the United mm -hmm. States. But maybe that's also the point, is that they're 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 trying to make people be like, oh, I can't believe they would joke about COVID-19 just so people are more aware, like, well, it's still a huge problem, right? And and yeah, our, our, our political leaders or government leaders, whatever, they're just not doing enough to help out the American people. I think people just don't know how to joke about COVID yet. Yeah. You know, what is the, how do we go about it? So that's what felt awkward here. It's, it is worth a watch. I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but honestly, I think we, you, you, me, John and Matt, I think tomorrow we're going to do a better job of yeah. blowing up 2020 than these guys did. So stay tuned for the show, folks. Now, moving on, this this story that I'm about to tell you isn't really the main thing I want to talk about, but I have to give you some context. Okay, so let's just jump in. The star of the next Creed movie will be donning double duty. Entertainment reporter Jason Nathanson, well, he has a little bit more on the ninth installment of the Rocky film series. And I don't think that clip is in there. What? Okay, yeah. well, uh, that's fine. It's only 15 seconds anyway. Hmm. Creed 3 is going to be filming next year. And uh, I, I'm blanking on the actor's name. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is going to be starring as um, Adonis Creed, who's the son of Rocky Balboa's friend and rival Apollo Creed. Right. He's going to be directing the film. So Creed 2 was okay. Creed 1 is a masterpiece. It's fantastic. So looking forward to Creed 3. But what I really wanted to talk about is stemming from a conversation last night right before the show. John looks at me through our Zoom call and says, <laughs> is this Creed thing about the band Creed or the movie Creed? <laughs> and I laughed. I went, oh my God, Creed. I forgot about Creed. And I just wanted to talk about Creed for a bit of a second because I think Creed is one of the weirdest bands ever because I grew up and Creed was on the radio all the time. And like my parents said, yeah, Creed's really good. Uh, and I kind of thought, Oh, Creed must be good. If everybody thinks it's good. Mm -hmm. As I got older though, I found out, Oh boy. Oh doll. <laughs> Not so much. There is a record store in Calgary that has a giant wall, like floor to ceiling poster of creed oh. like a, a creed album and they're all like all their faces is like superimposed on a tree <laughs> it's really weird they're a really strange band and i just can't get over scott's voice like the like everybody, everybody sang yeah. in that voice right it's just such a um I, I don't even know how to describe creed and it, like i've heard they put on such a nice guy act 
and then they really aren't nice guys maybe in person and yeah. and you know what people in the industry can get jaded so maybe after a few years or decades in the industry like you just don't want to be nice anymore and you've earned that right but when you sound like this and you're telling people <laughs> weird like come on man actor michael b jordan will be oh there you go oh. all right we had that audio there. That it was, just came a little bit delayed. But, you know, the, the funny thing there. about that is that uh, they they had this one music video. Maybe you guys recall. I can't remember the name of this song. But it, it was like a 1999 music video where they were using, like, computer graphics. And it was like a video game almost. Like, I know oh. I'm not making this up. And when I watched that yeah, as a not. kid, and when I was watching that as a kid, and assuming it came out in 1999, that means I would have been eight or nine years old, depending on the month. I still wasn't impressed by the uh, technology that they used because I was looking at that. I'm like, this looks so it. bad. It looks I so it. bad. It's bullets. Bullets. It's horrible. It's almost like that Iron Maiden uh, Dance of Death album art. Probably. Right. Oh. oh, boy. And you know what else is another thing you have to look up if you've never seen it? I wish I could show you it, but radio. Creed played a halftime show at a Dallas Cowboys game, and there's the, it's like, can you take me higher? Like, it's that song. Mm -hmm. And there's a part where a guy on like ribbons starts flying over the football field, and nobody in the crowd <laughs> is having it. It's so <laughs> awkward and weird. You have to check it out, guys. And uh, Matt, you said you had a, a, period, uh, a, a experience with Creed, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, when I was maybe, f I would say f 14, 15, um, I was in a band with with some buddies of mine, and we decided in as a sort of a band exercise we would go and see a concert together. So we we drove out from Abbotsford to Vancouver, uh, an hour away, obviously, mm -hmm. um, to see uh, to to see Creed. Um, and like even back then, I was like, I I'm not having this. You know, it was Creed. It was Creed and uh, Nickelback and Seven Dust, and um, it, it was actually like it was a decent show. Like Seven Dust were were pretty heavy, uh, Nickelback were pretty impressive actually. Like this was while they were still like doing tons of road work and just building their audience and mm. getting like super successful. So, like you know, as much as I mean, musical taste is subjective. You know, Nickelback is somebody's favorite band. Creed is somebody's favorite band. You know who are we to to dump on that? But I will dump on them because I don't like them. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know Seven Dust rocked. Uh, Nickelback were pretty impressive, but uh, an hour later, an hour later hmm. after Nickelback finished their set, Creed did not even play. Somebody came out, some some stooge from like maybe the radio station promoting the show mm. came out and was like, listen, uh, you know, Creed is, is, you know, canceling their show tonight. They're not playing blah, blah, blah. And so, <laughs> I mean, here's here's the outrage that happened. So there there was a show here where in Vancouver where Guns N' Roses came and played and they, you know, it wait, waited about two hours and they didn't even come on stage and there was a riot. Mm -hmm. You know, people were kicking over trash cans, mm -hmm. you know, burning burning stuff up, blah, blah, blah. A Creed riot, one guy kicked over a trash can. That's your Creed riot right there. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody's like, all right, guys, have a nice night. We'll yep. uh, see you on the next show. <laughs> and in a way, someone was like, oh, thank goodness. Okay, we can go home now. All right. Yeah, so, you know, whatever. It didn't bring us, the whole band trip, it didn't bring us together. Um, it didn't 
inflate my opinion of any of those bands whatsoever. Although I was impressed by Nickelback. So, hey, there you go. Uh, sorry, what year do you, do you call that being again? If you had to guesstimate? 98 Nine, or at nine, least 99. 98 or 99. Okay, yeah. That was when Nickelback really wasn't this internationally acclaimed band that had sold millions of bajillions of records all over. Nope, they were just, uh, you know, a couple of guys who were, well, I guess more than a couple, but just a, a few guys, few Canadian lads who were just trying to make a name for themselves in the industry. So you really got to see Nickelback before they were cool, dude. That's the most hipster thing I've ever heard Matt say. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, whatever, you know, it was a good show. I'm a lot of people diss them, but hey, you know, they're successful for a reason. They they worked really hard. Yeah. They're good Canadian kids and we should be proud of them. Fair enough. Uh, well said. Uh, they like I said, they're rolling in the cash now, so they get the final laugh no matter what. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.